Good morning. I'm Paul, host of the new PL podcast and founder of the new PL Brand Purpose Institute, where we work with business leaders, employees, and entrepreneurs just like you. And we empower them to build brands with purpose on purpose. This week on the new PL, our shout out goes out to Greece, another one of the 90 plus countries we now listen to in. Thank you to all of our Greek listeners for your support. It's hugely appreciated. Let's keep the global movement for a new PL and business growing. And just before we start this week's podcast interview, next week at the new PL Brand Purpose Institute, we're launching our first course within our Legacy and Leadership Development Program. The course is titled Transactional to Transformational Leader. And the first Transactional to Transformational Leader eight-week virtual program will begin in February next year, 2023. And in that, we will be exploring the key principles and characteristics that are needed for the business leaders of the future as well as providing participants with a range of tools and skills to help them build a powerful legacy for their leadership and for their business. And this course is ideal for both those currently in senior leadership positions, as well as those aspiring to become the next generation of business leaders. And there's an exclusive offer for anyone who signs up before December the 20th, 2022. And the offer is 50% off the price of the course, so a 50% saving in your investment in transformational leadership. And if you go to principlesandleadership.com, click on the banner on the homepage, you'll be able to learn more. And you'll also find the links to the notes that accompany this podcast. This week, we speak to the amazing Steve Phillip. For almost 30 years, Steve was a successful consultant, a trainer and keynote speaker. Until on December the 4th, 2019, he received a phone call that would change his world forever. His son, Jordan, had taken his own life. A devastating moment. And it's also something that far too many of us have also experienced in our own lives. So in early 2020, in Jordan's memory, Steve established the Jordan Legacy to provide support to those struggling to cope with life or considering suicide. And since then, Steve has delivered talks on the topic of suicide prevention to corporate organisations, communities and government leaders, employees and policymakers throughout the UK and Europe. Steve's lived experience of suicide and his message today will, I hope, help all listeners to understand that suicide is not an inevitable path for those struggling in life, and that tragedy can be turned into hope with the right support, passion, and focus. So Steve, a very, very warm welcome to the new PL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. No, uh, great to be here, Paul. Thanks uh, very much for the invitation. Pleasure. Um, for our listeners, we've got a global audience, as you know, and for our listeners, I would like you to start by just introducing yourself and the Jordan legacy and and what you do and and your backstory to that. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah, um, well, for 30 years, I, I worked in the world of uh, consultancy, corporate speaking, leadership and management development. That was very much my area. And uh, yeah, around about 32 months ago, I was looking at uh, an exit strategy for that consultancy business over the next five years towards you know some form of retirement or semi-retirement um and um yeah on december the 4th of uh, 2019 received a call that essentially turned my life upside down caused me to walk away ultimately from that business and that was receiving a call on that day to let me know that my 34 year old son jordan had uh, taken his own life and as you can imagine a, a moment like that, yeah. your kind of world that you knew 
changes out of all recognition, really. Yes. And you established a Jordan legacy, and perhaps you could tell us about that, the legacy for Jordan. Yeah, I mean, maybe just you know, a little bit of backstory to that. Um, my my knowledge of you know, I'm not a mental health professional uh, at all. Um, at best, I hold a mental health first aid certificate, um, uh, but I've been on a phenomenal learning journey in the last two and a half years or more. Um, but very shortly after Jordan's death, um, when I stepped away, kind of. From everything I was doing professionally, I published an article on LinkedIn. Yes. Um, my consultancy for the last 11 and a half years actually specialized in coaching and training and speaking on social media. That was my background with corporate businesses. Uh, so it was my platform, um, New and Inside Out. I published this article that went uh, viral and uh, got a huge outpouring uh, from people uh, who recognized the situation had lost loved ones to suicide um worked in the sector um and those who are also feeling suicidal who were then started reaching out to me directly um it seemed to touch people at lots of different levels the rawness of it and the, the honesty of just sharing the utter carnage that we were going through my motive at that time was simply to um say look is there anyone else out there going through this because i you know i, I didn't I, you know i wasn't part of this world at all so um that led to a huge response and people as i say reaching out to me for help as well which i was unprepared for so i had to put some processes in place and responses to signpost people and, and i think at that moment paul what happened a little light went on and said i'm probably not going to do what i've been doing for the last 11 and a half 30 years, whatever yeah. the period of time is. Um, I've got a voice. Um, I've used these types of platforms to communicate with vast audiences before. Maybe it's going to be a different story. Uh, and I started to to learn very rapidly about the world of mental health and, and suicide. And that led literally within a few months to me founding uh, the Jordan Legacy. Mm -hmm. The Jordan Legacy uh, I didn't want it to be just a resource center. There are enough crisis helplines out there. Uh, well, maybe there's never enough crisis helplines, but you know, I didn't want us to be a, another crisis helpline. I wanted to look at what were the practical implications around suicide prevention, but what is the common message? And the common message is that most suicides are preventable with early interventions and the right interventions and support. So what do they look like? What's happening in workplaces, yeah. in the digital community, in communities at large, in the design and build environments? So as I started to learn that and form some really strong associations that came along for the ride with me, the Jordan Legacy set its store out in 2020 to really be an organization that would open up conversations around suicide and discuss the practical um, processes around preventing suicide. So we engage with government, we engage with businesses, we engage with communities, uh, the digital world and the design community as kind of four layers of a strategy. We've run many online events and continue to do that with big audiences attending. Um, and from those audiences, we know that many have gone on to put in place many of the solutions that have been discussed at those events. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what the Jordan legacy is all about. Well, firstly, thank you for um, for telling me your, you know, it's a very honest and personal story. And I, I am very sad for your loss. I'm very pleased that such a wonderful legacy is coming 
from that as well. And it's um, and I am full honor and uh, and praise to you for developing that legacy and building it forward. Thank you. Um, I wanted to set some context for this conversation because obviously this is the new PL and its principles and leadership and business. And usually it's a conversation around how we build more purpose-led business and more principled leadership. I invited you on um, to the show after seeing a post on LinkedIn and it touched me very personally because I have had like many, many, many people, too many people, my own experience in this situation. I lost my closest friend to suicide 25 years ago. I lost another very dear old friend in February this year and it affects all people and all ethnicities and and all elements and parts of society and genders in society. So part of what I want to achieve today is to have a very open and honest conversation about suicide and by doing this to play our own small part in the new PL about breaking down stigma and and amplifying that conversation. So you're you're very welcome to the new PL and I'm very grateful for you taking the time to be with us today. No, thank you, Paul. I, I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Um, you state in the website on the Jordan legacy that your ambition, um, your ultimate ambition is zero suicide. And a lot of people would no doubt question, you know, with the very best of intentions and resources, whether this is possible. And I understand from what I read the background to it, but it would be great to explain to listeners what zero suicide is and what the why it's your stated ambition. Yeah, it's it's a really important question, and and the language around this is really important as well. That we talk about moving toward a a zero suicide society, um, rather than zero suicide being uh, the aim and the ultimate yes. goal. Because I think we all realise um, sensibly and realistically that we will never actually achieve zero suicides in, in any location around the world. However, where, where this um, really stems from uh, initially was from uh, an initial case study um, back in the mid-2000s from the Henry Ford clinics, where they, they actually applied a number of principles that are now known as the zero suicide framework, and that with those individuals known to the mental health services um, going through those clinics, they did manage to get the, the numbers of those known to the system who were then going on to take their lives down to zero. So the actual terminology comes really from from that particular case study. Mm -hmm. That framework then has been adopted worldwide by the zero suicide community. Um, so what it says, in effect, is what is the target? You know, what should we be aiming for? Do, do we have a UK government target that historically has been we will uh, uh, prevent suicide suicides by 10 percent each year for the next three years? Really, is that the ambition that we're we're going for here? Ten ten percent? Um, is it fifty percent? Is it forty percent? Mm -hmm. And whatever number you put in there, then the argument probably comes back. So, what about the other? Why you know why aren't we trying to eliminate? If 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 you were to look at cancer or heart disease, yes, you know, and I don't know what the targets and goals are for those, but you would hope ultimately to eradicate cancer. You would hope to eradicate heart disease. Yes diabetes, um, motor neurone disease, uh, you know, you would hope ultimately we'd find a cure for that. So I think if we apply that logic, we say the problem is only one target that we should aim for and mm -hmm. be continually aiming for. So there's no necessary success yes. measurement, and that is zero. You touched on in the beginning of that answer, the importance of language in this area and how it um, plays a key role in creating awareness. And as the conversation grows and the term 
committing suicide is is incredibly loaded. It's um, you know committing is associated with a criminal act, for example. And another phrase that makes me really uncomfortable and is so often used for those that attempt suicide is um, that it was an unsuccessful attempt or that they failed in their attempt. And I know why it's been used, but it but it feels very wrong because of the concentration of you know success and failure and, and what that means in a broader sense. So talk to me about language and what is the language we should use when we address suicide and what is the language we shouldn't use? Yeah, I think it's, and, and the way you frame that question in both parts there is really interesting. So I think what is really interesting is that we have to be really careful of being judgmental of people. Mm-hmm. You know, for many people, we've grown up with certain language and certain yeah. ter- terminology. The term commit suicide, for example, was something that I was using until some weeks after we lost Jordan to suicide. I'd grown up with with the term. It's what we hear on the TV and the news yeah. and, and, and elsewhere. Um, what is the issue with that term? Well, as you rightly mentioned, up until 1961 in the UK, suicide was a criminal offence. Yes. Uh, and the act of attempting suicide could see you arrested in centuries gone by. Your family, uh, if you'd taken your own life, would have been thrown out of the village you lived in and, and far far worse done to your to you even deceased uh, as a result so for a long time we've lived with the fact that suicide has been seen um uh, akin to committing murder mm-hmm. uh so in that case uh, you can imagine for those who've lost loved ones to suicide to hear the term commit being used can be quite harmful but again we've got to be really careful of judging people here so what should we use well uh, they died by suicide or that person ended their life uh, or ended their own life or ended their life by suicide um are probably the common terms that um, organizations like samaritans and yes. in their media guidelines would suggest uh using now so yeah that that particular phrase is important and sorry you mentioned one other phrase that's just gone out of my uh, um, an unsuccessful attempt unsuccessful yeah here we go you know it you know was is this a competition mm-hmm. it, it, you know um and, and i think again that language is um and there was a terminology that you know after i kind of was educated about of trying to avoid the term committed there was a number of sources suggested we use the word completed suicide. I thought, okay, well, that sounds gentler and softer. But then, of course, as I started to use that, people would come back to me and go, well, completed sounds like it was a task or a project yes. that, yeah. that you either successfully complete or you're unsuccessful at. Can you imagine the stigma around yes. that. So, um, so, again, you know, that was part of my learning journey so you know those sort of terms such as successful or unsuccessful suicide completed suicide or committed suicide are generally now being shared as as terms to to avoid or to educate people in you know what's a better term one of the exciting things on the horizon for you um, and part of the reason we're we're here today is um the baton of hope which you are launching in 2023 with mike mccarthy your colleague and, and many, many other partners. Um, I'd like you to talk a little bit through what the Baton of Hope is, what your aspirations for it are, because it's it's a campaign I've been introduced to recently. It's phenomenally exciting um, and has tremendous potential at a national level, and I'd love you to explain a little bit about that to us now. Yeah, really. It, it, it sits you know, very well alongside the work that I'm doing personally at the Jordan Legacy. And Mike, you mentioned you know, some of the work that he's doing with the likes of Talk Club right yes. now since the, the tragic loss of 
his son uh, Ross in in uh, February of last year. Um, you know, this was born out of a conversation amongst a, a group of us that kind of looked and said, "What do we feel about the current state of mental health support and suicide prevention and awareness?" And I think what we recognised is that there were. Uh, huge number of people out there and organizations doing some wonderful things. We also recognize that the, the mental health care system and focus particularly on suicide from a governmental level and an NHS level was poor. Um, we go as far to say we have a broken system mm -hmm. if we listen to many of the experiences of people trying to access that system. Um, but if we have on the back of that, so many wonderful organizations around the country and individuals doing great things to help prevent suicides. Where's the link? Where's the joining up of, of these yes. services? So our initial thought was, could we put on an event, a march, a walk of some kind to heighten awareness about suicide? And of course, in that time, we've seen the three dads walking and Mike and I met with, with Andy and Tim just a few weeks ago at an event. And hopefully we're going to take part in, in their next walk they're doing in September. So just a few weeks away. Um, but what is the glue that was needed? And, and we recognised there needed to be some kind of unifying uh, initiative project, mm -hmm. event. We gave it all kinds of terms and settled for initiative that would be a whole population approach to doing three things, really. Opening up the conversation around suicide, raising awareness about suicide, and ultimately showcasing and demonstrating actionable methods that could prevent suicide. If we could do those three things at scale and bring everyone to the party from workplaces to communities, to the healthcare sector, government, and the third sector, could we do something like that? That was yeah. the conversation. And uh, our goal is to achieve that. Yes. And, and we've started a journey that there's no turning back from <laughs> now, for, for sure, uh, giving us many sleepless nights along the way, I'm sure. But we now have um, organizations like Thomas Light, Silversmiths to the Queen, who make the FA Cup trophy and the Six Nations trophy, creating a baton and designing it for us. We have one of the, the biggest um, marketing and events companies, Bray Lano, based in, in Bristol with offices in London and yes. global partners, helping us manage the events side of things. We have website partners. We have other partners coming on board to help us. We have a strategy to engage with champions and ambassadors and a sponsorship strategy to help us fund this project. So if you like, a, a group of a handful of us um, with little experience in this this type of uh, venture, I've kind of pulled this together and attracted a wonderful team uh, called the Organising Committee. Uh, these are heads of charities, you know, heads of businesses around the UK. Uh, that have all come together as complete strangers to to work towards achieving this aim. I think the important thing is that Baton of Hope is launched now. It, it, is. It, is, it is live now. The tour itself of the physical Baton will take place for two weeks from June 25th to July the 8th next summer. But importantly, what happens then is that there will be a legacy beyond that particular tour that we're going to year two and year three through mm -hmm. a series of charters that we're creating um, that will essentially go out to the healthcare sector, to the education sector, to the general public, to government, to workplaces and other sectors and digital communities saying, will you sign up to your charter? Yes. That charter basically is going to have a series of things that you could do to help achieve our three goals, 
that we talked about before. Will you sign up to that charter? Will you demonstrate to us that not only have you signed up to it, but over the next two years, you are living that charter and creating those actions and, and making them become real. That's what the baton of hope yeah. is all about. And I know you're very keen to bring as many brands and, and businesses into the conversation, both in the lead up to the to the walk itself or to the uh, the baton of hope event itself, but also beyond how do they get in touch with you if they would like to sponsor, if they would like to be involved, if they would like to to support you in some way? Uh, yeah, great, great question. Uh, we were kind of a little unprepared in, in some ways for the launch of the Baton of Hope a few weeks ago at the end of uh, June, Paul, when Mike and I were invited to to meet with the then Minister for um, uh, for State for Health, which uh, was Sajid Javid, of course. Mm -hmm. little, do, little do we know what was going to happen a few days later. But yes. uh, that event, um, which was uh, broadcast and, and covered in the media by BBC as well, led to Mike and I being invited to BBC breakfast the following morning in, in Salford uh, to sit on the red sofa and talk about this. And and it just kind of exploded. Uh, we, we hadn't quite got the website ready and, and, and the inquiry forms, but it was kind of thrown together in a in a in a rush much to the uh uh i think uh huge head scratching of those helping us put put the website together poor guys but um you know we have on the baton of hope website so it's baton of hope uk.org uh, a register interest uh menu and mm -hmm. it's as simple as that at the moment we're in phase one of the website but by going to that particular menu register your interest whatever level that is do you think you can help us with sponsorship do you think you can help us be a regional champion or you prepared to be an ambassador for us to help raise uh, the profile um maybe you want to be a national partner at, at some level um there are many different ways you might even just want to be someone who volunteers along the route yeah. uh you know we're putting plans and guidelines and all you know, a lot of work to do in the coming months to communicate how this will work in practice. But if you think you could fulfill any of those roles, then, yeah, go go to battenofhopeuk.org and the register interest menu and drop us a line Brilliant. and uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. And for any listeners that are interested, we will include the links and the notes that accompany the podcast as well. So you can always reference the link there. Um in a broader sense, from a from a work perspective, as we are, uh, you know, business led podcast, part of the challenge with mental health in this area is, especially in a work complex, is that it's hugely complex. You know, it's sensitive, it's nuanced. There's obviously a legal context to it as well in a work. What you can ask, what you can't, how you address situations, and so on. And sometimes action doesn't happen not because of a, a lack of will, but because of inertia created by how and. How do we start this and how do we address it? So what's your advice? I know you do a lot of work around well-being and, and business. What's your advice to employers in terms of the next practical steps they can take tomorrow to start addressing or putting in place some things to help support mental health within their business? Yeah, I mean, I've just come off uh, uh, delivering a talk to an organisation that I went in to deliver some physical talks to a couple of weeks ago, just on this this very very subject, Paul. Um, um, I think, look, first of all, we we in business got to get serious about uh, well being yeah, generally, um, and we're talking physical and mental yeah. well being here, but the overall well being of the employer. So I think, you know, firstly, it starts with a commitment at leadership. Uh, this has to be driven by leadership. There has to be a statement of intent. Um, 
look, the data's there. You, you, you know, you, we can continually read as many Deloitte reports each year as we we want. Um, but the numbers are there. For every one pound invested in employee well-being, there's a five pound return demonstrated. Mm-hmm. So the business case is there. There's the moral case behind yeah. this as well. It's just something you should be doing if you are a principled business so it's got to be driven by leadership leadership have got to create the right environment and the right space for well-being to happen and for people Mm. to thrive at work that's really important we talk about creating a psychologically safe workplace almost every business that will listen to your podcast will have health and safety manuals coming out of their ears uh, i'm sure but how many of those health and safety manuals have sections specifically for mental health and specifically for suicide awareness and prevention as well more to the point i know that even the nhs often don't have that um so making sure that um the culture and the environment and the platform is right for this to happen uh for conversations to take place that means educating managers that means educating frontline managers uh more emotional intelligence from managers to be able to have conversations but recognizing that that the challenge that you've got is that someone is more likely to come and tell you that they have a physical ailment when they're suffering with a mental illness um and not be looked after appropriately by the company as a result right why is that because the culture most times in the business does not allow that person to be brave enough to say boss i need to take some time off for my mental health mm-hmm. you know think what <laughs> what does that mean uh but if you say no i need to take some time off because i've been diagnosed with cancer or i've got a heart complaint or i've broken my leg much easier conversation to have so i think there are lots of practical things you know mm-hmm. we're working with organizations at the moment a large air car- cargo freight company a global a global company through the jordan legacy we're working with to uh, integrate something called improvement teams um this was something from my consultancy days working with large motor manufacturers where we essentially through management and teams working together improvement teams go out into the business and generate new ideas and fresh ideas that are presented back to management to authorize and support and implement around well well-being it's taking that top down ground up strategy approach and meeting in the middle um so you know at a, at a high level strategic level there are many things that can and should be done i think what companies have to be careful of is tick box exercises yes. so for example we'll send half a dozen people on a mental health first aid training course right they're now on the course but the contingencies that are not put in place typically is what is the support for that individual when they come back into the business yes. what if yeah. what if they stay there for four or five months in some cases and no one ever approaches them with a mental health problem how is that skill being nurtured and developed or what if they are being approached and now they're being consumed by the conversations they're having, that they're taking this home with them and having mobile phone conversations in the evening or the weekends. Is management aware of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is the contingency and support put in place? So when you start to drill down, there's there's a lot of things that are in place at the moment that are not being properly supported. So the, the list, the list could, could I could probably go on for another half an hour, Paul, with with this. Do you think, I mean, you raise a really interesting point there that's prompted something. Do you think part of the the challenges, the the thinking that goes into 
these courses and these programs that people attend. So a management or leadership thinking, if someone attends this course or participates in this well-being class, that's the problem solved. Whereas in fact, it might be the beginning of the opening up of the problem. And actually this, the real support is needed after the program or the course. It's not solved within it. It's not the beginning of the the issue and it's not the end of the issue it could be the beginning of the issue i think it's a really valid point i mean i i myself as i mentioned went through the two-day course to cover mental health first aid i have a certificate to say and a badge i think as well and a logo on my email footer uh, but um that says i'm a mental health certificate uh certified um individual what does that mean that means i attended a course several months ago most of which uh, the details I would have forgotten about, but I have a manual next to me on the desk that mm. anyone could read, in fairness, uh, if someone approaches me. Um, and I think many people are, uh, are like that. Um, it's also a very intensive course, which can be quite triggering for a lot of people that attend. Yes. You know, what I would like to see, and I don't think happens, um, I'm willing to be challenged on this, but I would suggest it happens in very few cases, is where an employee goes through a mental health first aid training course, that there should be a debrief with management yeah. when they come back and that debrief should say, right, tell me about the course. What have you learned? Now that applies to any training, by the way, yeah. <laughs> which doesn't happen. What have you learned? Okay. How's it impacted on, on you? Tell me a bit about how this has affected you. What support do you need from us to help you in this role now? Now, if those conversations were taking place every time between an employee who's just been on the course and management, yeah, we'd see a very different way of integrating mental health first aiders into the business, I'm sure. Yeah. Sometimes I fear what is lost in the general discussion around suicide awareness and suicide prevention is a deeper and a louder discussion around how we hope help those who have attempted suicide but have lived. So how do, how do we break that stigma for those that have lived? What are the resources that we need to to wrap around those people and how do we raise that awareness as well as the prevention element. Yeah, it falls into a number of categories, really, Paul, that, you know, those that have been bereaved by suicide as well, we could have the same Absolutely. discussion yeah. here, you know, what's the support uh, for them? Um, it, it comes around uh, opening up the conversation yeah. generally. So creating that environment where whether you're feeling suicidal, whether you've attempted uh, suicide um, or whether you've been bereaved by suicide, that, that we can actually you know, as I just repeated several times, say the words suicide yeah. um, and um, and discuss it openly in, in all aspects of it as well. Um, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I spoke to another company this morning who worked closely with the Jordan Legacy. Yeah, they're a well-known brand. Um, and, yeah, you know, they've, they've had two suicides from employees, you know, this this year uh, and working very hard to make sure there isn't a third and, and, yeah. and more. Um, but, but, you know, I had a really interesting conversation with a very large government owned organization where the HR director there was, was just getting so frustrated with the, the board about trying to get suicide prevention in there uh, as as at some kind of level. And the response from the board was, why do we want suicide prevention training? We've not had a suicide. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that moment has not been lost on you at all. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I know we're on podcast here, but I can see the expression yeah, on your Facebook yeah. going, did he really just say that? 
yeah, no. Um, uh, but what was very interesting and probably more concerning was that when the organization did delve actually into the history, um, they discovered, in fact, they'd had 11 suicides in oh total over uh, uh, recent years. So, yeah, obviously a conversation not being had at any yes. level. Yeah. I read not so long ago Johan Harry's book, Lost Connections, which for listeners who are not familiar with it, talks about how our lack of connections to people, to purpose, to meaningful work, to hope for a positive future can underpin depression in some people. <clears throat> it made a lot of sense to me, and I wondered whether that also was reflected in the work you do. Is that the experience with those you work with, either in a personal or professional capacity in your in your consulting? Uh Paul, could you ask that question again? I suddenly, when you mentioned the author, my head went off towards another book of his I've read for a moment and I missed the beginning of the question. So yeah, I know you're going to do an edit on that. Yeah, sorry, if you could just no, come no, back to me all. on that. Not at all. I, uh, I read not so long ago Johan Harry's book, Lost Connections, which for listeners who are not familiar with it, uh, talks about how our lack of connections to, to people, to purpose, to meaning, to nature, to hope for a positive future how that lack of connection can underpin depression in, in some people. And it made a lot of sense to me, but I wondered whether that was also reflected in, in the work you do. Is that what you experience when you work with people through well-being or consultancy? Yeah, and it may not be a direct experiences that I'm having myself, but certainly through the conversations uh, that I have with the many partners and organizations and other people working in this space and the research that, that's out there, yes. that we know, you know, one of the, the major contributory factors towards depression and anxiety as two of the mental health illnesses is isolation and yes. loneliness, which again, we could put together under lack of connection there as well. You know, it was a really interesting period uh, when we look back to the lockdowns particularly through 2021 for COVID in, in the UK, uh, there was there was a lot of um, uh, tweets and social media posts saying that suicides were increasing. What one famous one, suicides increasing by 200%, all not factual um, at yeah. all. In fact, the, the data and the evidence that we have so far, um, even though coroner's reports are, are lagging behind because of COVID, suggests there was a slight decrease, about a 5 percent um and when we looked at why hadn't suicides gone up significantly during that period one of the theories be behind that so not fully proven but one of the theories is that actually what happened through the lockdown although we were technically isolated in our own homes we actually became far more connected with each other with neighbors checking in on one another right, right. whatsapp groups being formed you know which we still have to this day with our, our neighbors so a sense of connectivity actually became greater and, and we're kind of all in this together type yeah. attitude and sitting on deck chairs outside the front of the house and clapping on a thursday night for the nhs yeah. um so you know in many respects there was a a measurable potentially measurable impact on that uh, additional connectivity uh, between people if you like so I think yeah it is it is very relevant very pertinent I mean that does raise the question whether we are you know now in an environment where where now people are becoming more isolated because that sense of community has dissipated a little bit we're all not coming out and standing some people have gone back to work some people have stayed at home I just wonder whether whether that sense of isolation may actually be post-pandemic rather than during the pandemic which is a concern, yeah. I guess. 
Uh, no question. I think in my mind, at least, that I think what we have now is still many people working in a hybrid situation yeah. or completely remotely, but no longer having that sense of community where they could walk out of their front door on a Thursday night and see all, all the neighbours. Um, so I think we are experiencing, which we thought would probably happen in fairness of post-pandemic knock-on effect to to mental health, now, of course, being exacerbated by war in, in Ukraine, the knock-on effects yes. to that, and, and now, of course, the cost of living crisis and recessions. We know, for example, that uh, data from each previous recession uh, from the UK shows that for every 1% in unemployment, there's a 1.7% increase in suicides. Right. So, you know, that data exists and, and is out there. So, you know, I, I think we are expecting there to be an increased uh, uh, experience of poor mental health um, as a result of what is to come through, mm. you know, this winter and what is already starting to happen, actually. So what are the, the resources and support? Where do people go? I mean, we have the the obvious, like Calm and the, the um, and Samaritans and so on, Mind. What are the recommendations that you would make in terms of where people go, the support that they can source and the, the resources that they can access? Yeah, this has been one of the challenges is where do you go? You know, if you go on Google and type in support for mental health, I mean, you'll, you'll just be overwhelmed probably with yes. uh, the, the vast amount of support that is out there, which is, you know, on the one hand is a positive thing, but what what's right for me? Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do with the Jordan legacy, and we're about to go to uh, the second version of our website very, very soon is kind of already outlived in a very short period of time. It, it's effectiveness. But we uh, on the jordanlegacy.com, we have a help menu with sub menus for all kinds of different circumstances, such as I've lost someone to suicide or I'm having suicidal thoughts. Or I think I may have an eating disorder. I've got a gambling mm -hmm. addiction. Uh, a whole, you know, or I'm worried about my child, for example. Very yes. relevant given this week and A level yeah. results coming out today. So, in a very fundamental way, at the moment, we want to develop that. We wanted to be able to signpost people to to them rather than necessarily to a service that might or might not be wrong. But if you think about the services, and you mentioned a few of them that are out there. You know, there are a significant number. So for men, for example, Andy's Man's Club has become huge, mm -hmm. you know, with well over 100 um, places now that men can drop into and have a, you know, a conversation that didn't exist, you know, a couple of years ago. Mike uh, McCarthy, you mentioned, works with Talk Club, which is another national talking place for, for men. But not only do we have Samaritans, we have um, organizations like Shout, the text based service yes. you know you've got to consider that if someone feels a huge amount of stigma or is highly traumatized has suicidal thoughts and isn't comfortable speaking to someone up until recently the only option they had if they googled i'm in a crisis and i'm suicidal was samaritans call this number yes now and and it was only uh last year that we saw shout appear in that what they call the one box area at the top of the website so that's all we've had yeah. up until yeah. now in, in terms of any resource um so yeah the, i mean th there is a there is a list and certainly the jordanlegacy.com and the help menu has lots of different resources depending on your particular circumstances including the obvious you know nhs helplines yeah. and services there as well this is a critical discussion to be having it's also a very hard discussion to be having for many people and it's hard not to 
to feel the weight and a sense of sadness when we have a discussion around suicide. But the event, the initiative, the program you're running, Baton of Hope, is about hope. So I wanted to end this conversation about looking forward where you see the hope, where you see those beacons of light, the, the positive things that we can look towards and, and reach out towards looking forward. Yeah, we often talk about, you know, the Jordan legacy. We've always talked about ending on, on, on a message of hope or a note of, of hope. We ran a conference called the Hope for Life conference at the end of last year when we were able to run a physical conference for the first time. Uh, and now we have, you know, baton, baton of hope. So look, hope is is the one thing that we can kind of cling on to and give to people. And, you know, if we have the conversation with somebody and we ask them the question, you know, are you thinking of ending your own life? And that person says yes. And the next question is, well, how and when do you have a have a plan? The next thought has to be, well, okay, well, suicide is certainly an option that you could consider. But there's also another option, and that is staying alive. What is it we can find right now that will give you hope for the next five minutes, ten minutes? Well, help arrives and and we can all give that little bit of hope to let people know that whatever it is they're going through right now is temporary mm -hmm. it always will be ending your life is a permanent solution to whatever the temporary problem is so we have to try and help people find hope and we're all capable of doing that an arm around a shoulder a cup of coffee quiet chat sit and listen someone's listening to me that's giving me a bit of hope it's great great advice steve um we always end the new pnl with our guests offering up one or two final pieces of wisdom um when it comes to suicide prevention to awareness and particularly to breaking the stigma around the conversation of suicide what is your advice to those listening today whether they they feel it in their own personal lives, whether someone around them is is feeling it as well. What is the, maybe it's an employer who doesn't know where to start this process within their business. What is the one or two final pieces of wisdom you would like to leave listeners with today? Yeah, it's a great, great question, Paul. I think don't believe that you have to fix the problem. Yes. I think that's a lot of pressure for a lot of people to think, how, how, I don't know, I don't want to start the conversation because I'm fearful that, that, that I might be called upon to fix the problem. Your job is not not to fix the problem. There is also a fear that if I ask that person and use the word suicide, that it will plant the seed in their head. It's now one of the biggest myths that have been completely busted. We, we know from all the research that you're more likely to save a life by asking the question than plant the seed. The yes. seed is already there. Um, so first, first of all, um, just recognizing that um, it's important to have that that conversation. Um, and I think, you know, just asking people how they're doing, but not asking it once, mm -hmm. always asking it twice and, and put, you know, there's a couple of different ways you can approach that question. Firstly, you know, how are you doing? Okay, I'm doing fine. Or how is everything? Very different question i heard that this week from someone else i thought that's interesting i've not used that before but how is everything suddenly kind of yeah. opens it up a little bit but whatever you 
whenever you ask either of those questions, it's not enough just to ask it once because that person is likely to say with a smile on the face, I'm fine. Yeah. So you've got to ask it a second time. And when you ask it a second time, you ask it with a different inflection in the voice and go, okay, Steve, but how are you really doing? Mm. And just by changing that and being prepared to ask twice and the final piece of advice would be listen. Yeah. Just listen, just be there. 90% of the time, that will probably be enough. Steve, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I'm very, 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 very grateful for your time. Thank you so much today. And it's been a, a pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you. No, likewise, Paul, really, really appreciate the opportunity to uh, kind of share our story and, and hope, hopefully that's been a value to the listeners as well. For those who would like to learn more about the work Steve and his team does, please go to thejordanlegacy.com. And you can also check out the Baton of Hope 2023 nationwide tour at batonofhopeuk.org. Both of these organisations are doing incredible things to raise awareness and to prevent suicide. Something, as I said earlier, that is affecting far too many families, friends, communities and individuals. I encourage you to check out their websites and to do whatever you can to contribute. Thank you once again for listening to the new PL today. I know it was probably a very hard listen, but a very important listen in many ways. If you have enjoyed the discussion today or any of the other new PL conversations, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And don't forget to check out the Transactional to Transformational Leader Program. There's a link in the notes that accompany this podcast, or you can go direct to principlesandleadership.com and take advantage of that 50% off offer until the 20th of December. So I'm Paul. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great day, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.